Amen. Let's start to move back this way, if you will. And we'll get ready to go into the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you will, go ahead and stand to your feet once again. I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand back up. And we're going to be reading this morning and uh, starting in Romans chapter number 3. And we'll begin reading in verses 10 through 20. Romans chapter number 3. <clears throat> verses 10 through 20. When you get there, you can say amen. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Pray with me. Lord God, we do thank you so much that your grace is sufficient. Your power is perfected in weakness. And now we stand, Father, as your children. We recognize the sacredness of this moment because, Father God, when you speak, all your children are here to hear a word from you. And so, Father God, I pray that you would anoint me this morning anoint my heart, anoint my mind. I want you, Holy Spirit, to take control. Speak to all of us that we might be more like Christ and that the life that you have given us, we will fully recognize how beautiful and how wonderful it is. Jesus, we need you today. Jesus, come right now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. I must say I am uh, very excited this morning uh, because for a number of weeks I have been meditating over and praying about uh, this particular series that I'm going to be starting today called Grace. Uh, grace is a wonderful word. Every Christian should fully understand and recognize the kind of grace that God has given to us. There is a great deal of misunderstanding about grace, even within the church culture. 
Some folks believe that grace is a license to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. How many know that's not accurate? There are some who fear those who decide to live that way. They fear that people will take advantage of grace, and so they become a little bit extreme and legalistic because they want to kind of tone you down a little bit because we're afraid that you may not understand what this thing of grace is, and we don't want you to abuse grace. No matter where you come down on this issue, grace is a marvelous thing. It is how we came into the kingdom of God. It is how we are kept in the kingdom of God. It is how we live in the kingdom of God. And so there's a gentleman by the name of St. Augustine, a believer, and he says something that I think is very, very important. He said that in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And what St. Augustine was doing what I think was, was such a marvelous statement because he basically struck the perfect chord as it relates to being balanced in our walk with God. Everybody say balanced. In essentials, essentials are those things that are fundamentally we got to hold true to if we're going to be a body of believers worshiping together. The essentials and the nature of God, the deity of Christ, how we get to heaven. Nobody, we, we can't be in all, uh, we can't be disagreeing on how that works. We all must be in agreement. The non-essential things, the things that I believe that the gray areas in our Christian walk, and how many know there are some gray areas? There are some areas that the scripture is somewhat silent about. And one of the things that I think is so important is that, that where the scripture is silent, we can't be dogmatic about. Amen. Let me say that again. Where the scripture is silent, we can't be dogmatic about. In other words, all of us have convictions about certain things. Now, we're not talking about issues that are sin. I think all of us understand for the most part what those are. But there are some gray areas. I, I give an example. I was, uh, many years ago, um, I used to uh, think that as a Christian, I wasn't supposed to have fun. You wouldn't dare catch me anywhere near a movie theater. You, I mean, for me to sit down and have a movie and go to and eat popcorn, I mean, that was too extreme for me. I want to give you a picture of what I came out of. Okay? There were, there were people in the environment that I grew up in that, you know, they talked about uh, makeup and dresses and all those things and earrings. They were forbidden pants, I mean, not, not dresses, but pants. They had to wear the dresses. Um, I came out of an environment that one time that pastor said that everybody who listened to any kind of contemporary Christian music was in sin. So he had the whole church bring up their CDs. I'm not talking about like evil. I'm not talking about worldly songs. I'm talking about Christian artists. Brought them all up to the front and burned them. 
if it was rock and roll Christianity, rap Christianity, I mean, it was like, it was like, and so, and so he got to a point, he even said that video games was a sin. And some of you right now, your heart just started beating. Shouldn't be. And he had the whole church confess that the video games were evil. And you know why the video game was evil? Because he was doing so much video gaming that he wasn't preparing for his sermons like he should have been. So the Holy Spirit was saying that you're taking far too much time, so you need to stop. Well, his personal conviction became he wanted to make my conviction. There are things that we must understand as believers that we are under the law of grace. That means that there are some things the Holy Spirit will let you do that he may not let me do. The Holy Spirit, when I first got saved, the Holy Spirit told me there was a lot of things that I could not do. And then he was sinful. Then I used to ask the question like, God, why not? Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, I just knew in my heart I wasn't supposed to. But the mistake that I made was I went back and told everybody else that you're not supposed to, too. How many know that God deals with us where we are? He deals with us where we are. And so it's important to understand where do we draw the line. Let me just say this as I I introduce this series of grace. It's going to be a fascinating series. Um, You know, God wants you to enjoy your life. And I know for some people that's really hard. God wants you to have a good life. First, he wants you to love him and enjoy him. I mean, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like I came into the kingdom of God, and for about seven or eight years, I didn't know what that was. I thought it was my job, Brother Edwin, to walk around upset and mad at everybody and always serious. Smiling was demonic. Can't smile and be happy? I mean, you know, you can't, you can't go out and enjoy yourself and, you know, and watch, don't watch a movie. You can't. You just, 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 just be, read your Bible, pray, and go to church. Do nothing else. If that's what you like to do, that makes you happy, and it makes me happy, that's fine. But you shouldn't feel like you're holding to that. The Bible says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Freedom is, how I many know grace is not a license to sin? Let's just get that straight. Once you understand what real grace is, you will love your God that much more. Amen. When you recognize, by the time I get done with this message, you will recognize how much God has done for you and me. And if anybody can get out of that, that grace is a license to sin, I don't know what's wrong with you. The last thing you want to do when you have been captured by grace is sin against God. But when you do blow it, and I imagine that everybody in here at times blow it, that we can stretch our hands to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. You can dust your knees off. You can get back up, and you can keep on going. Because he can not only forgive you of sin, but also the guilt of sin. So more Christians should be walking around heavy-hearted. You know, if you have sinned against God and you have confessed your sin, you have repented, you should be happy. Amen. 
God didn't hold nothing against you. Why, why do I say that? Because he already knew you were jacked up before you came into the kingdom. What happened is once we get saved, something in our brain tells us that now we got to figure this thing out on our own. And now I got to do some things. There I go again. I have to do some things to please God. I have to, to do some things to perform. And once you start thinking like that, then you miss the whole point of grace. Grace is a gift that God has given to each and every one of us. And so, so here's how we're going to do this this morning. Um, we're going to be doing quite a bit of teaching this morning. Is that okay? Amen. So if you got a pencil, pen, I want you to write down some scriptures. But I had to do it this way because I really had to lay a foundation. And I'm going to take you all the way back to the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about things because today we're going to talk about the law. The law of God. And let's, what is the law of God? Most people think that the law of God is only the Ten Commandments. But there's so much more to the law of God than just the Ten Commandments. In fact, the first, the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. And those are the first five books. They are called the law of God. And the Jews, some of the Jews also call it the Torah. Some of you may have heard of that. It is the law of God. And so when you read those particular books, in particular Leviticus, how many of you have read Leviticus and absolutely love it? And you love it? Wow, great. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I read Leviticus and there was a whole lot of stuff that you had to do. I mean, that was, I mean, you read the first five, you read God's law, and, and you look at that thing, you're like, ain't no way nobody can do all of that. And you can't. See, the law of God is perfect. The law of God is sure. The law of God is holy and righteous, and God demands perfection. God is a perfect God. The problem is, we are not perfect people. So how do we bridge the gap? There enters grace. Amen. God's law was a law that he introduced to the Jews. And in the Old Testament, now I've got to bear with him as I, as I lay this foundation. In the, in the Old Testament, the, the people of God, they had to do what we call animal sacrifices. That every time they did certain sins, and there were a lot of them, they sinned just like you do today. But every time they sinned, they would have to go get some kind of an animal, a lamb, a turtle, a bull, something, whatever the sin was. And they would have to offer sacrifices for the people. So every time they blew it, they had to go get an animal. And they had to bring him to the priest. The priest would be out in the outer court. And they would burn the incense and atone for the sins of the people. But then they had what they call is the tabernacle that Moses, that they built in the wilderness. Inside the tabernacle was first called the holy place. Inside the holy place, you had the uh, table of shoe bread, which represents that God is our provision. You had the golden candlestick, which burned perpetually, which represents the light of God, the glory of God. And then you had the altar of incense, which represented the prayers of the people. And so they were constantly be burning this, this sweet-smelling aroma. Do you not know that when you pray to God, it, 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 God loves your prayers? 
And then beyond that is what we call the veil. Now, I want you to understand the veil. See, the veil, beyond that veil was called the holy, the holiest of all. Right? Anybody just can go in there. In fact, God told Aaron the priest, he said, Aaron, said, said, look, I want you to tell you and, and everybody else with you, don't just come up in my presence anytime lest you be killed. They just could not decide, oh, we're just going up in the prison. No, no. They had to be, the priests had to wear certain clothing. They had their outside of the outer court, they had what they call a labor, and they would have to wash themselves and clean themselves up before they could even get near. Man. So they had to dress this. So God was so particular, he told the priests what they had to wear down to the color and the fabric. So then you have, so you, so you had the, you, you had the holiest law. So you're in the holy place. Then you go beyond the veil. Now you can only go there once a year. And I said, you, the people could not do it. Only the high priests could go inside the holiest of all. There was the mercy seat, the ark of the covenant was there. It was the very presence of God. So every every year, the seventh month, on the tenth day, they would have to atone. They called it the Day of Atonement. When the high priest would go in there and he would atone for the sins of the people. And if that high priest went in there and the high priest used to wear little bells at the end of their robes. If they went in there and they weren't right, if they didn't wash their hands, if they were dirty, if they didn't have their articles perfect the way God said it, they, they would die right there. And they would have to get a rope and they would have to pull them out. Make you have a whole different perspective when it comes to, now you understand, when the Bible said we can come boldly before the throne of grace. I want you to get the picture. Let's look at some scripture verses, shall we? You got your pen, pencil, paper, you ready to roll? Let's look at Hebrews chapter number 9. Go there with me very quickly. And we'll start reading in verses 6 through 10. I want you to write these down. I want you to go home and look at them. Now watch this. Then indeed, let's start at verse number 6, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 9. In fact, in fact, in fact I love Hebrews. It's one of the great books of the Bible. It really explains grace and law in a way that no other book does. Now, when these things had thus had been thus prepared. The priests went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services, which we just explained. But into the second part, the high priests went alone once a year, not without blood. Now, underline that in your Bible. Not without blood. Not without blood, which he offered for himself. So here you got a priest a high priest, not only does he have to atone for the sins of the people, but he had to offer and atone even for himself. Amen. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, in verse 8, indicating thus that the way into the holiness of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. And it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service, or who, I'm sorry, who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Because remember that when they were sinned, how many know that they were sinned again? They were sinned again and again and again. How many know what I'm talking about? 
How many of you sin again? And again. And again. And again. If you say you don't, you're lying. I'm going to call you a liar. In verse 10, concerned only with food and drinks, various washes and fleshly ordinances and imposed into the time of reformation. What was reformation? I even know that God had a plan all the way back then. He was... Understand that the tabernacle, all of that was a shadow. It was a copy. It was typology. Because you remember that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. So why would God have them going through all the rituals of blood, bulls and goats, going through all of that, knowing that, that it ultimately couldn't take away sins? He knew it. Watch. Let's keep reading. Jump on over with me to Hebrews chapter number 9. You still in Hebrews now. Look at verses 19 through 22. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wood, hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood, watch this, of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, blood had to be shed. He said, there's no forgiveness. So now, understand, so here's why they have all these animals sacrificed and they're bringing them and they have to shed blood. Because you know why it's all about the blood? Because the life is in the what? The life is in the blood. And so then there had to be perfect blood to atone for the sin of the people. By the way, the animals that they had to bring, the animals could not be with defect. The animals had to be perfect. Amen. They couldn't bring a lame, sick animal. They could not do it. God wouldn't accept it. So we're talking about perfection. And so, so when Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Even back then, God was pointing to Christ. Y'all don't understand. John 5.39 says, you search the scriptures. Because in them you think you have life. But these are they that testify about me. In Psalm 40, he says, No, I come in the volume of the book. So the whole Bible, the new the old testament is the New Testament concealed. Christ is concealed, but in the New Testament, he is revealed. But the whole book is about Christ. The sacrifices that they were doing, it was all about Christ. Amen. And God was, was using a picture that ultimately I am going to fix this thing once and for all. But he had to educate the people. 
He had to teach them that, 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 that you have a problem, that, that you are a sinner, and, and, and that you need help. And so God had them going through that because how many know we're stubborn? Amen. And we're still stubborn today. Now watch. So now, now, now jump over with me real, real quick. Uh, jump with me to um, Romans chapter 3. Are y'all getting somebody here so far? All right, stay with me. Romans chapter 3. I'm going somewhere. This is going to land squarely right between your eyes. And it's going to knock some of you right over in your seat. Hallelujah. In a good way. Romans chapter 10, chapter 3, I'm sorry, verses 10 to 20. And we just read that, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. Now understand, here's what God, here's what God is declaring. Alright? Because some of us think that we are a little bit more righteous than other people. You might be, <laughs> but you still ain't right with God. Isaiah 6 and 4 said that your righteousness is like a filthy rag. The best of us don't measure up. That's why the Bible says that we ought to always be humble ourselves. Because whatever you got, you, you, God gave it to you. Amen. And whatever you are, God made you that way. So the Bible says all have sinned. He didn't say there's a couple. He says all, all, all means what? There is none who understands. Well, wait a minute, I understand. I, I know the word. There is none that understands. There is none who really seeks after me. Even as righteous as we are, we don't seek after God like we should. Amen. He said they have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There's no one that does good. And what God is doing is, God is bringing us back to the point about his holy law. Nobody can measure up. Nobody can meet the standard. Nobody, nobody, nobody can meet the standard. He said their throat is an open tomb. How many of you always have to bite your tongue? You know why you have to bite your tongue? Because you might say something you know you shouldn't say. Because you're evil inside. Amen. And, and listen to me. You are still evil inside. According to God's standard. You are still, you still have issues. If you did not, you wouldn't have to confess to him all the time, every time you blow it. Watch. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are always in their, uh, I'm sorry, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the condition of those who don't understand and recognize the holiness of God. How I many know he's holy? Amen. Nobody meets the standard. Now watch this. So then, if God understands that I can't meet the standard, I don't measure up. I got the, you know, back in the day, you know, we had to do all these animal sacrifices. What's the purpose of the law then? What, why do we have the law? Is there something wrong with the law of God? Answer me. What is the problem? Us. You guys are smart this morning. Watch. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I told you I had a couple of verses. It's okay. We, we, we do a lot of this this morning. Galatians chapter 3. I want you to get this because this will be the foundation for our whole series. Because you'll understand by and by if you don't get it now. Galatians chapter 3 verses 19 through 20. Are you ready? When you get ready, say, say amen. 
All right, all right, here we go. Starting in verse number uh, 19. Watch. What purpose then, I like the Bible because it just answers questions for you. What purpose then does the law serve? I mean, the law, I can't keep God's law. I'm not good. Everybody knows, I mean, God already declared that I'm messed up. So what, why, what's the purpose of the law? Why then, God, would you have to, to expose us to the law of God? He's going to show you. What purpose does then does the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Hallelujah. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is then is the law then against the promise of promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, watch this which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So, if, so here's, what he, here's what he's saying. If righteousness could be achieved any other way outside of Christ, then God would have gave us a law so that can happen. Amen. But because God is a holy God, he demands perfection. How I many know God never lowered his standards? Amen. He never, he can't because it's against his nature. He cannot lower his standards. He never will. So what's the purpose of the law? You see, watch. See, let me, let me keep reading because I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting so excited. Here we go. Where are we at? What verse? Somebody talk to me. 21. 21? All right, let's go to 22. But the scripture has confined all on this end. How many? All. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who what? Believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law. See, see, so, so you see what the law is kind of kind of holding, we're kind of like in this holding pattern. We're in a holding pattern because everything that they're doing up to that point is not taking care of the issue. It's kind of like all they were doing when they were offering the sacrifices, it was putting a bandage on the problem. But the, but the wound was still there. It didn't do anything. It just covered. Watch. Look at verse 34. Therefore, everybody say therefore. <clears throat> the law was our tutor to bring us to who? You got that? That we might be justified by what? Faith. By good works? Faith. Working hard to get yourself into heaven? Faith. Performance? Faith. By faith. So he said the law was the tutor. The law, all that stuff that they were doing in the Old Testament, see, God had to reveal to them that, that the way, even they were going through, God was setting, it was a setup. That's the best way I can put it. It was a setup, ultimately, to bring them and all of us to Christ. From the very beginning, this has always been about who? Christ. Christ. It was a setup. So the law was just a tutor to show us. It's kind of like it's kind of like the mirror. See, the mirror kind of you look at it, the ladies can, can you know what I'm talking about. Ladies, when you look at a mirror, the mirror shows you what you look like. See, the law is kind of like when God, see, when transgressions came after Adam and Eve fell, God had to institute his law to show the people, y'all are really messed up. You need to take a look in the mirror. Because you think you got it together, but you need to take a look in the mirror and see where you're at. And you know how, how the ladies do it sometimes? You know, I say ladies, because ladies are usually looking in the mirror a lot. But you know, um, you know, they always, you know, always got to stop and make sure that I look okay. You know? And, and what happened is, when we look into God's law, look in the mirror of God's law, 
I mean, our hair is, is all messed up. The makeup is all over the place. Our teeth are out. We got stuff all over. We are just messed up. When you really take a look at where we really are and what you really are, you realize what kind of person you know. God was trying to let us help us to understand that you need grace. You need help. You, I, I had to show you. I had to point you to Christ. Now let's keep reading. Y'all still with me? Alright, now watch. So then, look at, look, at, uh, look at Galatians chapter 2. You're still in Galatians, right? So go to chapter 2, verse 16. I want to drive this point home one more time. Because this is, this is the closing verse before we get to the, the thing that we get into. Y'all understand that? Look at verse number 16, Galatians chapter 2. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works. See, the Old Testament law was work-based. They had to perform. If they didn't perform, there wasn't much grace in the law. If you didn't perform, boom, dead. Or you cheat on your wife, boom, dead. You raise somebody, boom, dead. Wasn't much grace in the law. Either you did it, if you didn't do it, you got the penalty. Aren't y'all glad? Amen. <laughs> I told you you're going to love Jesus more by the time we get done. Galatians 2, 16. But see, I got to take you here so you can get it. And look at Galatians 2, 16. Are you there? Uh, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You never have. You can't work your way in. Okay? You can't be good enough to please God. It, let me say this. Even after you get saved, you're not good enough to please God to get in. Because the minute that you start thinking that it's God's grace plus your good works, then you are sin the spirit of God. Because everything you do was to teach us that we got, we need me, and you cannot pull this thing off in no shape, no form, no fashion. Amen. You can't do it. Galatians 2. So know that a man is not just for the works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And God's law, and there's a lot of God's law. For the works of the law, watch this, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh. This is a message we tell the world all the time. People, well, I'm going to wait till I get my life together, and then I'll come to Jesus. No, you never can get your life. You come now because you, what you are is what you are. Even if you clean it up, you just be a, a clean sinner, if it's such a thing. What you are is what you are. It don't change. Now, turn back with me to Hebrews. Jump on over, go, go run back to Hebrews chapter number nine. Watch this. Now, do y'all love Jesus? Say amen. amen. I got to listen, I'm, I'm all over the place here. Hebrews chapter nine. Now, watch this. <laughs> Look at verse 11 through 14. Now, you remember what I said earlier that the priest had to go in, the priest had to offer sin for the people. Sin for themselves, 
They had the Day of Atonement, and this went on repetitiously. So which means, since we understand that the bulls and goats could never take away the sin in the first place, means that they had to keep doing it all over, over, and over, and over again. God wanted them to see, this is very difficult. <laughs> y'all, y'all need to understand. But God always had a plan. Watch this. But then everybody say, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. we go. This is why we worship him. This is why we give him the glory. This is why we clap our hands, stomp our feet. This is why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed. This is why we say it right here. Watch. Verse number 11. But Christ came as high priest. High priest. You remember he said only the high priest can go into the holiest of all? Now Christ, now Christ is going to take over now. He's coming to take over. As high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Now you know the tabernacle on, in the wilderness that was made with hands. Remember, there was a type, there was a copy. But the high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not with this creation, not with the blood of bulls, watch this, of ghosts and calves, but with his own blood. Amen. He entered the most holy place how many times? Once and for what? All. All. Having obtained eternal salvation. So Jesus ain't going back on the sacrifice. He ain't going back on the cross. Because he went up into the holiest holy, of the holies of holies with his own blood. Amen. Spotless. Remember life is in the blood. So the person that sacrificed, they had to be perfect. There could not be a spot. There could not be a blemish. Christ did not go into the kingdom. Of, he did not go into heaven with bulls and goats. He went in himself. Amen. And obtained salvation for all of us. Never having to go back and do it again. Amen. Now did the people stop sinning? No. Have you stopped sinning? But he has obtained eternal salvation for you forever. Amen. I'm going to show that to you here in a second because you don't believe me, so I got to show you. Look at verse number 13. Go back to verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves. With his own blood he entered the most holy place once of all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The price has been paid. See, how many know that God had a, see the thing about it is because God is perfect the sin debt had to be paid some kind of way. Christ paid and satisfied the debt that you and I owe to God. That watch this, that, that we can't repay God. You can't be good enough. I keep telling people that you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. You know why you can't be good enough? Because you ain't good enough. You ain't good enough. Don't ever think that you're good enough. Don't, don't think that because the blood of Jesus covered you that you're all of that. You ought, you ought to just be thanking God for his grace. Amen. 
If you're, listen, if you're not jacked up like somebody else, thank him for his grace. Thank you, Lord. But don't beg, don't boast like, like you did something to earn it because you did not. Amen. Because to think that way would be an offense to the grace of God who through his body offered himself. God said that I had to send my son because there was no way you can get there without him. And you can't work your way in, so stop trying. Whoever this tape is going out to in the world, not y'all. So look at, look at Hebrews. Again, look at Hebrews. Uh, now look at verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary, I'm in verse 23 of chapter 9, that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. You know what the other scripture says that the, the, the Lord, he intercedes for us? He intercedes for us because we keep blowing it. He intercedes forever. Watch this. Not that he should offer himself up often as the high priest entered the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. Now jump on over. Watch this. Look at verse number, uh, look at chapter 10 in Hebrews. And look at verse number 11 through 14. And every high priest ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, wait until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering, now I want you to hear this. This is very important. Are you listening? Say amen. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Wow, that's good news. Let that sink in for a minute. Christ's sacrifice perfected us forever as dirty, as wretched as we are. Because nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is the blood. Amen. <laughs> it is all about the blood. Back then, the bloods of bulls and goats, it was all about the blood of Jesus. That's why we talk about communion. That's why you hear us say the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. The only difference between you and a sinner or somebody who don't know Jesus is the blood. You are covered by the blood. You still messed up. You still got, now God has cleaned up some. We understand that. But it's all about the blood. The blood. Look at the name and say, it's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. He says, watch this. For by one offer he has perfected forever. That means, listen, forever. That means he secures you forever. When you're his, he secures you forever. That's what he says. He perfected you forever. If you're his, you are his forever. If you got to keep yourself, he never gave it to you. Forever. Those who are being sanctified. 
See, I don't know that spiritual growth is sanctified. Those who are being sanctified. See, we're mistaken losing your salvation when it's really sanctification. You know, sometimes we blow it and we feel like, oh, God, I lost my salvation. I got to do all these different things. You know, and people that keep coming back and forth up to the altar every time they blow it, let me run back because, I, you know, I, I've been bad. And, and, you know, I used to be the part of legalistic church I told you about many years ago. This girl used to come in and get saved like every other week. You don't get saved every other week. Because when you get saved, you really get saved, you get saved, and he perfects you. He keeps you. Amen. If you can keep yourself, then why did he die? If you could keep yourself, why did he die? So, so why, why did God go through all of that? He had to show you the law. He had to expose you. He did all of that. And now all of a sudden you're at a place now.